everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark LaLiberty, and joining me today is... Corey... Paz... E... Knockreiner. <laughs> if I lag, I apologize. We're having technical difficulties today. <laughs> I love it. It's terrible. Before Corey freezes out again <laughs> this episode, we're going to be what covering... Mark! <laughs> a pretty serious issue uh, found in the Android ecosystem. Uh, a new zero day in everyone's favorite web browser, Internet Explorer, and some Love it. great changes actually in the Apple ecosystem. Are bees pollinating Fuji apples lately? What's going on there, Mark? That's the Apple ecosystem, right? That's what farmers uh, That was me. a reach. <laughs> With that, let's go ahead and skip our way in. So let's start this episode with what feels like a biannual description of certificates. Uh, so <laughs> before we get into the news story, we got to kind of go over how certificates work and public-private key cryptography, I feel like, at least for some of the listeners that haven't heard me say that this exact same spiel probably. A lot of folks know, and I think I think we'll find some folks might understand the basic of the public-private key part, but they may not remember all the trust authority that part of it. So I think it's worth doing it again, as you're about to do. Sure. So the, what in do the, they call it? The circle of trust. <laughs> the chain of trust, but close enough. That would be... There we go. Actually, I think a circle of trust is technically possible by just cross-signing a bunch of certificates. But anyways, in the world of HTTPS, uh, when you go and browse to a website like watchguard.com or secplicity.org, uh, you'll note that it, as of right now, still has a little lock on it. I do think Google is planning on getting rid of that. Um, at least in Firefox, it's got a lock. Uh, if you click on that lock and open up a certificate, you'll note that that certificate has information about the destination. Uh, so a certificate is basically just this file uh, full of details of a, a subject, an identity. Um, so in the case of websites, it's going to be the website domain, like watchguard.com. might have some subject alternative fields, uh, like other subdomains for it. I think it was about a month ago we discussed a vulnerability involving emails and certificates too. It can contain those. Um, or at a minimum, it can just be a entity like Digicert or Komodo or some certificate authority. Um, so the way certificates work, it's all public and private keys. Um, so you can encrypt something with one key that's only decryptable with its associated public key. That allows you to verify something that was encrypted with a certain private key is associated with a public key that you're aware of. Um, for certificates, you're basically encrypting or digitally signing all of that, that data about the particular uh, entity and signing it using a uh, private key of a certificate authority, either a root or an intermediate. Now, we've somewhere along the lines arbitrarily chosen to trust a list of root certificate authorities. I say arbitrary because, I mean... I know I didn't personally go and vet every single CA that's in my web browser or computer. Um, so we leave it up to the likes of like Google or Mozilla or Microsoft or Apple to... Uh, I will say that there's like an industry council. It's not really completely arbitrary. You know, it's uh, uh, 
Council of Industry folks decide what's good and bad. And also, as we'll see later, has the power to, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that soon. Yep. So, so a little more actually... than arbitrary, but not not something a normal person or business controls. It's something that to most people is behind the scenes, which is probably why it, you, you mentioned it was arbitrary. Yep. So there's it's the CA Browsers Forum, uh, which is basically an organization like you just hinted out of all these certificate authorities where they come up with the rules of how they're going to regulate themselves. Um, and it's up to our web browsers and our operating system and our mobile phone in order to make sure that these certificate authorities are following by the rules. And if they are, they get to remain in the list as a trusted CA. And if they aren't, they end up getting revoked or removed from that list, which is a pretty dang big deal. It takes a lot of time. They're usually given like a warning shot across the bow to fix their ways first. Uh, but if they don't improve whatever rules they were breaking or start stop signing crummy certificates, and I think you were clear, but just to, to be triply clear, like certificate authorities themselves often revoke certificates. Like I can, a certificate authority can uh, generate a legitimate certificate, but maybe it gets stolen and used for bad purposes and the certificate gets revoked. That's very different from what you're talking about, Mark, because that's just one certificate that has to be reissued to the legitimate company so the bad one's not used. This is actually any client that uses certificate authority, uses this, this uh, chain of trust, they're revoking everything, period, that comes from that certificate authority. So if you happen, the, 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 we'll, we'll talk about some examples, but you as a company out there, you know, Cyclicity listener, have to get a certificate for your company. If you happen to pick a certificate authority that does something bad and they get removed from browsers, phones, even operating systems to some extent, I mean, they use it in its own secure communication, all of your company's certificates and all of the other customers of that company's certificates then become blah. <laughs> Exactly. So it's a big, big deal to re to revoke the entire certificate authority itself. To end the the trust partnership with that CA. And there's been some pretty high profile examples over the years. Uh, back in 2011, there was a company called DigiNoter um, that ended up having its chain of trust revoked by most of the, all of the web browsers in response to them not validating certificates properly, issuing multiple certificates to different entities for the same organization without good validation. Uh, that company ended up going bankrupt after it. Like that's the kind of death sentence it can potentially be. Um, Symantec, a pretty big company, like we've all probably heard of Symantec in the IT space. They this used to be a certificate one of the biggest authority. Ones. Yeah, but back in 2018, uh, they were removed as they trusted certificate authority by Google and Mozilla and the like because of lapses in their own validation. And they actually ended up selling off their certificate authority business to DigiCert uh, instead of, I mean, Symantec is way bigger than just a certificate authority, but still their center for CAs basically folded and got sent to another company. Um, there was a Chinese- You have more examples, Mark, but before we go into them, do you remember, I, I have vague memory of Komodo getting in trouble. And uh, this was also during 2011 during DigiNotar. Now on the flip side, I know there have been incidents, including in 2011, where a number of the the certificates they issued were, like I said, used for malicious purposes, and they uh, revoked the bad certificates. But I feel like I remember at least temporarily 
there was such a large number of their certificates that were being used maliciously that they got temporarily removed as a CA too. Obviously, they're back now. They're in good standing now. But I feel like Komodo might fall into the Diginotos back in 2011. They were in the situation where they got that warning shot across the bow of basically fix your crap or we're going to remove you. And they did end up fixing their crap and remained in the list now to this point. But yeah, there there was a period of time where I remember it was like a, a mark of shame if your certificate was signed by Komodo at one point. And we even at WatchGuard were discussing preemptively removing it because of some of the lapses that they had too. Like the firebox itself maintains its own list of trust. Yeah, we we by the way, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. When I when we talk about all the clients, and I mentioned even the operating system, network appliances like ours have to have a trusted CA list. Yep, because when we're doing things like HTTPS inspection, we need to make sure that us sitting in the middle can protect you from someone impersonating a certificate with a falsely signed cert. Um, so another example, uh, WoSign. Uh, they had a subsidiary called Startcom, which back in 2016, uh, you giggle. I do. Love By the way, if your name's the... Wo Sign, I know there's no <laughs> W O E. It's just W O. But if your name's Wo Sign, whoa, there might be trouble coming. I don't know if I trust you based on your name alone. But anyways, keep going. <laughs> Their subsidiary Startcom was removed back in 2016 after some pretty severe lapses in validation for certs they were issuing. Uh, most recently, there was a Spanish certificate authority called Camera Firma, uh, where in 2021, they were moved partially because they had entered into a partnership with Startcom, where after Startcom was nuked as a certificate authority, uh, Startcom's CEO and his team that he used to manage came up and joined uh, underneath Camera Firma and became the team responsible for validating domain-validated certificates uh, for the company. And so that kind of understandably ticked off Mozilla and Google and was one of, I think, 28 different bullet points they cited when they finally removed that organization as a CA uh, just a year ago. Um, so it's a pretty big deal when that happens. Like Because we've built the entirety of our modern internet around this chain of trust where they have to go through this validation so that we can go to amazon.com and trust it's amazon.com because it's signed by a certificate that's been validated and gone through the process. Like the alternative to this is for anywhere you want to go communicate with, you would have to preemptively share a key with them, basically share a password so that you could prove then after the fact that that's them. It's kind of how PGP encrypted email works where you have to manually share your key with your recipient that you're trying to send mail to. Yes, there's websites that help facilitate that a little bit, but there isn't that central chain of trust that you can sign your key or your certificate with um, to make it easier. So in the world of mobile phones, they use root certificates as well too. So your phone has them installed in order to say validate the websites you go to to make sure that when you go to google.com, it is actually Google and not just someone that created a self-signed certificate or one with their bogus CA cert. But also on mobile phones, and I guess for traditional operating systems as well too, all of the applications that run on it are signed by a certificate too, to validate the identity of the developer that created that application. Like you could think on Windows, it makes sense to have the LSAS application signed by Microsoft so that some bogus person can't come in, create totally LSAS.exe and start sniping all of your passwords in plain text. Um, so in mobile phones, it's even more restrictive, like especially in Apple, 
uh, where in order to run an application at all, it needs to be signed by a developer certificate that's ultimately signed by Apple's certificate authority. Uh, there was actually, it was, man, it feels like 2019, a couple of years ago, bad example of a fairly large organization abusing the power of these certificates. I think we even talked about this on the podcast back at the, uh, the end of 2019, where Apple ended up revoking Facebook's developer certificate when Facebook started paying users 20 bucks to sideload a VPN application that would monitor all of their internet activity, they were able to sideload it because they had a developer certificate. So even though this app wasn't in the traditional app store, it could still run on Apple phones because of this specialized certificate. Uh, Android lets you modify the certificate authority list as you wish, which allows you also to shoot yourself in the foot. It also lets you sideload whatever the heck apps you want. Um, I think these days they do have to have a valid signature, but they don't necessarily have to have a signature that matches a certain your list at all. You'll just get warnings left and right. Um, so in the world of Android, there's also these platform applications that have system level privileges. Uh, these are the ones that are developed by Google specifically that are like the components of the Android operating system. Also buy your OEM phone creator. So like Samsung or LG or whoever you bought your phone from. Uh, Fort Knox have... from Samsung might be a platform level yeah. app. Um, so they'll have their own applications that they bake into their custom version of Android. And those are technically platform apps that are signed by a root certificate authority on the phone. And so in order to run at system level privileges on a phone, you need to have either a vulnerability that you've exploited or a one of these effectively root certificates um, to sign your application. And here's where the story comes in. Uh, a week and a half ago, uh, there was a Chromium bug report by uh, Lucas Serweski. Oh man, I'm sorry, I butchered that. I know him as Maldroid on uh, on Twitter. Um, he's a Android reverse stick engineer. Stick with that. that it's, it's much easier to, to pronounce Maldroid. Exactly. Sorry, Android sorry, reverse Lucas. engineer. Um, out of uh, out of for Google themselves, uh, so he had submitted a Chromium bug report that was made public uh, about a week and a half ago, and the bug report was basically just a list of ten platform CA certificates and ten malware applications that had been signed by those certificates. Uh, this included several Chinese OEMs. It included one from Samsung, one from LG, one from MediaTek. So basically, someone or some ones. By the way, just so far, lots of Chinese, and I don't know about MediaTek, but Samsung and LG are Korean, Korean. I believe. Yep. So someone or okay. some ones managed to get a hold of the associated, the associated private keys for these certificates, uh, which then let them sign applications, malicious applications, using these root certs. So you can probably understand in the world of Android phones, this is a pretty dang big deal and a pretty big breach of security uh, for those particular OEMs. Yeah, and by the way, before we get into some wider talking points, Mark, like I think you want to talk about really high level stuff about the, the chain of trust. I actually, a, a smaller talking point is the one thing we haven't talked about and I don't know if there's any scuttlebutt about is it's not a small deal to lose a CA certificate for such big name organizations. Like I, I, we don't know the reasons why, but are they breached? I mean, if if your CA cert and your your Samsung, for instance, someone signing stuff, you either have a freaking big breach—that's a significant breach—you have a malicious insider, or 
And the reason I was asking for country, this again, all speculation, I, I would think this more for certain authoritarian countries in South Korea, but it's like, you know, the other thing we always worry about with countries and or, or, or companies and authoritarian governments is governments actually having access to companies and perhaps being able to do things like force them to give them their private certificates in order for the, the government to do snooping. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm glad that Google is doing the right thing of getting rid of them and reissuing them. But to me, the big question is, how did these CA certs for big organizations get leaked? Because until you know how, isn't reissuing them just, if it's an insider or a breach, it's not fixed. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Is, so is there any scuttlebutt on how yet? Or uh, No, not yet. Like so far, everyone's just basically reiterated the point that this is a, a pretty huge deal because you're supposed to treat these certificates like like Fort Knox using that example, because they are pretty dang powerful. Now, unfortunately, like in the world of Android development versus say like a website certificate, these are directly signed by the root certificate itself, meaning there isn't a like intermediate chain along the way. So in the world of like a, maybe a desktop application that typically has a chain or a website, like if that that intermediate one is like the equivalent of let's oh god I'm gonna kill myself for using this as an example, but a cryptocurrency hot wallet, uh, where your your intermediate <laughs> certificate is the one that lives on the build servers and is able to develop stuff. It's you know outside of your secure enclave, whereas the root certificate is a cold wallet. Bleh. Uh, where you keep that thing offline entirely, except for when you need to reissue I think a it's new a good metaphor. certificate. Yeah. God, that was awful. I feel terrible for that analogy. But anyways, so what I'm getting at is like in websites or, you know, typical uh, traditional application development, like if you were to have your build server compromised and someone ran off with your signing certificate for your apps, like it's bad, but you can can't revoke it and reissue a new one from that root certificate. In the case of this scenario, it was signed by the root certificate. We know that's compromised now. And so you have to straight up issue a whole operating system update in order to deploy those new root certificates onto the mobile devices. Like it's an even bigger pain in the butt to respond to. And it feels like from a development standpoint, a pretty big weakness that I don't quite understand the reason for signing directly with the root versus an intermediate. So anyways, throwing that out there too. That's my gross analogy. Um, I, this is too, it feels too big for this to be the end of like the, oh, whoops. Yep. We reissued them. Ah, I, I mean, there's two possibilities. There is a possibility that these companies and Google knows what happened and that's why they feel safe that reissuing fixes them or they're doing all they can until they learn more. But, uh, I think we should talk about, can you even trust this chain of trust? But, but, but I do think if I were Google, even though I've solved the immediate problem, I would still be worried about the root cause of this because it's it's not a small thing. And if they don't solve the root cause of this, it very likely sounds like it could happen again. <laughs> I mean, these it does. Like, it's don't not just, like it just wandered walk off. out the like door it... easily. Yeah, it, there's there has to be something that happened. And if you haven't solved it, it's going to happen again. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we've seen situations from authoritarian or almost authoritarian governments uh, abusing the certificate authority system. Like it feels like every True. other year, 
uh, Turkey tries to get a country issued CA cert yeah. out of the web browsers and is promptly told to, uh, nope. please go away. But I think that's, like, that's one of the things that, uh, what do you call it? The CA form does not, it's, it's against their rules to issue those type of things. But that's typically like them trying to insert their own certificate. So like if this were an authoritarian country, just straight up stealing certificates and using them. Or in the case of, of certain government, I mean, I hate to say China, but it it's, may even be with knowledge of the company, but there's little they can do if they are in that government oversight. So again, all speculation folks don't, we're, we're just trying, we're just wondering about possibilities of how. And again, whenever we talk about authoritarian governments, I want to make clear Chinese citizens are amazing people. Governments have nothing to do with the people in the countries. Yep. Fair or statement. hopefully have little, <laughs> don't always match the people in the countries. So how do we like, I feel like the, the whole trust chain and certificate like ecosystem, like I don't like that we're just putting trust in the stuff that we don't personally vet. It's Well, let, let's talk about things that work. DNS also has a chain of trust, right? Domain registration has a chain of trust. And we've talked about the root DNS servers and the extra steps that they kind of go, like there are root, uh, you know, ICANN is one of the organizations, granted it's a private organization that helps protect that chain of trust. And it also has lots of, you know, I, I've seen videos about, getting access to these root servers are really, really hard. And even by the way, blockchains, <laughs> cryptocurrency has a chain of trust. And whenever a new one is born, maybe a chain of trust that doesn't work, but some people go to crazy things. So, you know, you never know if the founders have, have made some sort of uh, way to, to game the system. So a lot of founders go through lots of crazy steps when they're first launching something like a blockchain to show how it really is decentralized. So I'm wondering, like you say, in this case, I feel like it's not as organized quite, you know, there is that CA browser form. So there is an organization behind it. It isn't, as jokingly as we talk about it being arbitrary, I will give them credit. That's not totally arbitrary, but I also don't feel like it has as much governance and oversight as DNS. Would you agree or disagree? And and then maybe it's just adopting some of the types of things that DNS and, and ICANN I will use say devil's advocate protect to that root point servers. I is don't that know. DNS is not exactly the poster child for a secure ecosystem when it comes to delivery of the product. Yeah, we've we've and we've also talked about. I mean, DNS can I they 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 have and could still have issues with this chain of trust too. I just feel like it's had less notable examples. <laughs> But yeah, I, I I don't know if I really have the answer. I don't know if you and I do. I just think it, it it's definitely something that a country can't be in charge of. It's something that it, I, I think businesses, you know, I think it has to be a consortium of businesses because obviously the, the browsers have power there. You know, they can in some ways force the 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 CA browser form to do what they want just by deciding they don't they're going if, if someone turns off your CA even if it's perfectly valid your root certificate in their browser they win regardless of if it is good or not so I think it just has to it has to be this consortium of folks and they just I don't know they just need more audits I do you have it's, ideas I have it's a tough there's been problem a, like over the past decades plural 
there's been things spitballed around about building your own trust chains and doing your own validation, but it all, it's to the end user, like the, the typical user, like my parents, if they were to, like, they're not going to jump through all these hoops just to validate that Amazon's server is actually Amazon. I would even say a business, say one with us that understands this and is security conscious and all the things we can do. If the CA browser form who literally has direct finance, like they, this matters to them a lot because the businesses involved are ones that really need this to work. If they can't do it right, putting it in the hands of the average business, I think it's just gonna make it worry. Like if you're telling everyone you have to self-validate yourself, I think everyone's standard of validation is going to go down, not up, unfortunately. Anyway, I, I guess you could also use this to, to some extent, maybe the CH train of trust is working, Mark, because I'm not sure if this is a failure of that chain of trust, because Google did revoke, once it was found out, Google got rid of it uh, and made them reissue, so everything there is working. Really, the failure here is how the heck did the, the root CA servers get leaked? And that is a problem of the companies, not the people that are maintaining. So to some extent, this isn't a breakdown of the chain of trust. It's just that if someone that has these really big, if, if the certificate authorities, including the businesses that aren't really certificate authorities, but have the platform level ones, if they screw up, that's a problem. And I guess I don't know enough about these platform ones. They're not efficient. They get these CA types certs. But are they treated by the same rules as, say, a, a Komodo? It is a self-signed CA certificate. No, I, I get it's the same type of certificate, but because they're not, they are only hosting one of their own. They're not deploying them to other people, right? Oh, I see what you're saying. So I don't think they fall under the same rules as like the, the CA browser forum for website certificates. It's more of just, it's a self-signed X503 certificate that... Google's chosen to stick in their operating system. So my my may, maybe that is the change because it seems to be the private non you know deploying non CA deploying companies out there that have specialized but powerful certificates that seem to be screwing up. Maybe they just need more hoops to jump through that are similar to what the bigger actual certificate authorities have yeah. to do. I mean, either way, this is it's a pretty difficult problem to solve. It does feel like for as clunky as this whole system potentially is, maybe this is the best solution for it. I mean, clearly SSL and TLS and certificates have been around for quite a long time. So no one has come up with something easier to adopt and more widespread yet, but, man. And frankly, it's to me, it's kind of a, a magic that it is easy when you get into how complex this certificate chain is to normal people. The fact that to them, it's just a lock button on the browser is pretty good, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So, I mean, in this situation, if you've got an Android phone that is at least still receiving updates from your phone provider and carrier, uh, this should have already been resolved. Uh, if you've got an Android phone older than a year that isn't receiving updates, because that's just how it goes, uh, you may be a little hosed in this situation. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't think this is the end of the story. And I'm looking forward to seeing if there's any information on exactly who or how caused these things to leak and be used by random spyware and malware on in the Android ecosystem. Uh, so yeah, that's the mystery I most want to know. Yeah, me too. Uh, so moving on, uh, last week we talked about a different uh, post from Google's threat uh, threat something group tag. And what does the A stand for in tag, Corey? 
can't remember. Threat action group, threat activity group, something like that. Anyways, we chatted about their uh, could be anything. post on Verus than IT, uh, Corey's new favorite company, uh, makers of spyware and exploits sold to other organizations and nation states. Uh, so just this week, uh, Google's tag group published a new research article on APT37, which I'm sure every, everyone listening knows off the top of their head exactly who that one is. Uh, but just in case you haven't, uh, memorized every single APT number. Uh, APT 37 is a Korean, North Korean, uh, government backed threat actor. It's been responsible for a few other malware incidents over the years. Um, but lately, uh, Google found them abusing a brand new internet explorer zero day uh, and a pretty gross lure to target South Korean users. Uh, so let's start on the zero day, uh, before getting into the crappy politics around the fish they use. By the way, Sorry for for the late joke, but it's just because I know everyone memorizes APT thirty seven. I just want to point out that APT thirty seven is also known as Ricochet Colima Inky Squid Scar Cruft Reaper Group one thirty two Temp Reaper. So, yeah, everyone just knows all these names for these APT groups, and and they're all the other names that different organizations give the same APT group. Yeah, it's it's pretty sorry. Dumb. Just being snide. I am so sick of, come on, I get that we're all competing security companies, but let's all pick a name and stick with it, guys. A name is not like IP. It's much easier for the people out there to know one thing to describe. It would be nice if we had a central organization, not regulating, but advocating for specific names. But anyways, uh, so zero day first. Um, so first and foremost, uh, yes, Internet Explorer still is in use and still is being patched because even if you're not using Internet Explorer as a web browser, it turns out that Microsoft Office uses Internet Explorer in the background to render HTML uh, uh, files or HTML templates within an Office document. Would it be Internet Explorer now or Edge? It's still Internet Explorer, so MSIE whatever process versus wow. the, the Chromium Edge. Yeah. So even if you can't access Internet Explorer as a web browser, it's still there and still being maintained by Microsoft. So everyone that that, that thinks they're they're using Edge actually still is using IE. Well, as everyone well. using Edge is using Chromium, I think, except for like ActiveX objects, which might use Internet Explorer. It's it's Microsoft. So the reality is it's probably all just Internet Explorer under the hood. No, I I get it. It's the operating system just doing it for other things, but I'm saying they probably don't realize their operating system is still using IE. SDK. So the, the vulnerability was in uh, how Microsoft Office renders HTML templates. Um, so the exploit, the malicious file that was downloaded uh, contained a RTF remote template, so a rich text format remote template hosted on a attacker-controlled web server. When you open the document and enable content uh, to get around that mark of the web thing that prevents you from running some of this dynamic content uh, by default, it would reach out, download that template, and then exploit this issue in the JavaScript engine within Internet Explorer as used by Microsoft Office. So yeah, not only do we have Internet Explorer in Office, we got JavaScript running too. Um, this vulnerability was, the vulnerability it went after was a type confusion vulnerability, which I think we've talked about a few times, but super high level. Uh, type confusion is where a program, programming language, uh, which has different types of variables that think like an integer for numbers, a Boolean for a yes, no, a string or character array. True or false, one or two, yep. one or zero. Uh, 
it's this type of vulnerability occurs when it allocates a variable of one type, but then accesses it as a different type. So allocates it as like a character array, but then accesses it as an integer due to issues with the the programming within it. Typically issues in C or C++ that are not memory safe programming languages. And this can ultimately lead to a out of bound read or an out of bound write. So read could be like information disclosure, write could be remote code execution on the system. Um, so this file, they delivered it using what I think is a terrible fish, uh, but not exactly far from what North Korea tends to do. Uh, so they titled the file uh, 221031 as Seoul Yongsong Aituan uh, Accident Response Situation 6 o'clock.docx. Basically preying on as a lure the, the tragedy on October 29th of that crowd crush within the Aituan uh, neighborhood in Seoul. And you can imagine if you were loosely involved or aware of the situation and you're in South Korea, you might be tricked into opening a document named after it like that. Pretty disgusting lure for that fish, even by North Korean standards. By the way, imagine, Mark, even if you weren't involved in this situation, that's the type of news that I think everyone in South Korea and globally, I mean, we all knew when that celebration ended in a tragedy. So I, I think anyone might be, you know, it's horrible, but we be interested in that. It's same as the, was it uh, Thailand or Philippines? Anytime there's a tsunami flood or a Katrina, you know, it's just disgusting what people will lure with as far as strategies because they know that if the world's watching, let alone the entire country, I think everyone in South Korea or in Korea knew that story, they would, they might be tempted. Yep. So the vulnerability itself was brand new. It was a zero day in Internet Explorer. Uh, Google reported the issue to Microsoft on October 33rd, right after they analyzed the, the file that was uploaded to VirusTotal. That's how they found out about it. Because as other people beyond me might also forget, Google actually owns VirusTotal. And sometimes I need a gentle reminder of that. Um, they reported it to Microsoft on October 31st. Uh, they were signed ZVE 2022-41128 on November 3rd. And Microsoft ultimately patched it on November 8th. So a pretty quick turnaround time for this one, probably because it was actively exploited out there in the wild. Now, these Office documents would typically have the, the mark of the web applied to them, basically a flag on them saying they've been downloaded from an untrusted source like the internet or your, uh, or your email um, agent. And with that set, it means that the exploit would not trigger automatically in the files. The user would have to hit that enable content button in order for the exploit to trigger. Um, but the vulnerable or the exploit code that they were using in this was actually pretty impressive. Uh, first off, it used the custom hashing algorithms to resolve Windows APIs. So an evasion technique to not call an API directly, but instead call like the hash of it using their own little special decoding function. It also erases every trace of exploitation by. By the way, why is that? I, I I believe I know the answer to this, but why is that sophisticated? Does it perhaps evade security that might be looking for illicit calls? It to would the evade API some. Or? So, like, let's imagine you're you're running a a security uh, endpoint security product that is looking for like strings of uh, app APIs being called within Windows API, um, and if you are looking for those strings like in a program itself before it executes. Uh, if they're encoded or decoded differently, you might miss them and allow it to potentially execute. Now, if you're watching everything it does once it does execute, you probably have a chance at catching it when you it actually catch goes it. to call that API. Yeah. 
but it, you wouldn't necessarily be able to block it from the onset. That's what I assumed you to, to, to even give you a simple example, listener, too, is it's the same like if you have, I'll simplify it from hashing to an API call to like if you have IP or domain based URL filtering and someone calls an IP or a domain by an octet, which is a browser can do, but maybe the filtering solutions don't know to look for it in octet format, calling it from a hash rather than its name could defeat stupid security filtering. Anyways, thanks, Mark. Just wanted to make sure the audience knew why. So Google noted they weren't able to get the final payload for this exploit chain, uh, but the threat actors have previously dropped uh, a variety of implants like Rock Rat, Blue Light, and Dolphin. Probably how they got their trademark names, plural. Um, so this one was isolated to South Korea, but now that the cat's out of the bag from the vulnerability, as we typically see with office vulnerabilities, I imagine it's just a matter of time before they start showing up targeting other organizations as well, too, unfortunately. Um, so let's see. Moving on, the final story for the day. This one's actually going to make Corey really happy because uh, I'm actually going to praise a company that he loves and is very close to his heart. Uh, so Apple made an Lies. announcement last week. Fake news. <laughs> Although, by the way, it really is nice ending on a positive highlight for potentially everyone. <laughs> yeah. So Apple made an announcement last week uh, detailing several privacy and security improvement initiatives on their device that are due out this year in the United States and early next year globally. Now, so there's three main features that they're rolling out. The first one is advanced data protection, uh, which is basically an expansion of the end-to-end -end encryption with backups in iCloud. So previously, iMessages were already end-to-end -end encrypted. If you back them up into the iCloud, like a, the government could not force Apple to give up your iMessages if you had set it up correctly. But like other applications, like your notes and pictures and all those were still accessible to Apple at the, uh, the request of law enforcement. They were still encrypted in the cloud, but Apple controlled the keys in those situations versus you and the recipient controlling the keys. By the way, and, and I would like to point out, I think it's more than just devices. It's their devices and cloud infrastructure. Because as much as you joke about me loving Apple, which isn't true, you can get Apple products, including iCloud, iTunes, and others on uh, Windows devices too. And they use the same iCloud. So when they are storing your data in the cloud, I believe a lot of these protections will apply to Windows apps that, that are Apple as well. Yep. So after this change, Apple and law enforcement will no longer be able to view encrypted iCloud data without permission from the user, basically without getting the password from them. Think of it as encrypting it locally and then sending it to them. Like they have no way of getting that key at all from you. And by the way, you've heard us talk about that there is a there is a debate here. Uh, by the way, I think a lot of people, I think everyone is kind of on the side that a private company, Apple themselves, even though you are their customer, they have no right to your data. So it's actually really good that they can't see it. But I do know on the other side of it, you know, through subpoenas, uh, the, the government, we, we talk a lot about the government wanting to backdoor encryption. This is where our government sometimes thinks that Apple and other companies should build ways that allow a backdoor for them, or at least, you know, Apple has proven in the San Bernardino case that they're unwilling, they, they want to put all the control in their clients' hands. Uh, to prove I don't like Apple, I think this is a great thing, but I actually don't think 
I think Apple's doing it in part to protect themselves and liability, not just pure altruism to the customer. I mean, it's it's the type of situation that's win-win for them. So they could certainly say, this is all for you. We love your privacy. And maybe a lot of folks do. But I think there's other business. You know, I'm always... A corporation is not a person that just loves you. They're, they they have a their own motives. So I don't just assume they're doing this just to protect their customer, but to one, do things that they perceive will increase customer business. And two, it, it having no access to this makes their life much easier for certain situations that they don't have to do work if governments are trying to get stuff from them. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment too. They're not doing it. Well, actually, there are a lot of things. I, I bet you does. there's some nice, I bet you like there are many people at companies and I bet you there's tons of people that truly believe in privacy at Apple. And by the way, at Microsoft, at every company out there. But ultimately as a whole, I don't always think, you know, you just always have to remember that co corporations, even good ones that have fantastic people do have their own motivations too. Yep, so as much as you fair. joke about me loving Apple, I have, they also are, are a company that is ruthlessly going after owning certain markets as well and making closed gardens. So let's not go out and think they just uh, love I'm everybody. pretty soon, they're pretty close to getting green check mark shamed into getting an iPhone at some point whenever they decide to finally put USB-C on it. But in this particular scenario... Soon. So your iOS or iCloud backups will be end-to-end -end encrypted, only accessible by you. That said, there are some limitations. So iCloud mail, contacts, and calendar services are going to remain outside the end-to-end -end, end -end encryption because, as Apple called it, legacy protocol issues. Reality is, like email, uh, if you're using their email server, you need to be able to download that on other devices as well, too. And there isn't a protocol. And by the way, within. some of those apps are the ones that have Windows versions. So maybe some of the, I, I do think there's some iCloud, like the picture stuff that Windows uses that will get some of this benefit. But some of the Windows apps that I am familiar with from Apple might be some of the causes for these legacy issues. Exactly. They so don't control they that, that environment. They have to use standards. Yeah. Yep. And not just their they will own proprietary still be ones. Encrypted, just not end-to-end -end encrypted. Um, there's also a few other limitations. So Apple doesn't encrypt the metadata, like timestamps, the original file size, things like that for these files. And so someone could potentially infer contents of files. Even more so on that uh, tangent, Apple actually uh, will hash the files prior to encryption to aid in deduplication if you try and upload something to iCloud, uh, which means like technically that hash is unencrypted. And so while someone couldn't know the exact file uh, that is being saved to Apple iCloud, if they know the hash of the file and they know something that hashes through that file, then they could say, oh, you have that file in your iCloud. So that is a bit of a privacy weakness in this for the sake of deduplication. Um, but at least that also might be kind of a good compromise for the government, though, because they can at least say, I have proof that the this person, you know, ultimately this forces the government to go to the actual, like if the government is subpoena in Apple, they suspect criminal activity uh, from an Apple customer, most likely, right? So this at least kind of will give the government something they can, uh, like they have proof from Apple, yes, this customer really might have this file, right? 
Mart. So maybe so in theory, they'd have to have the subpoena before knowing about that, but it would at least allow them to compel Apple to say to, to get something from get. Yes. Yeah. Yes. To, to at least get something from Apple and Apple will say, I can't give you that material, but I can tell you the file exists and it matches what you're looking for. Uh, assuming the government, you know, I assume the government might find a file they suspect the user might have, and they're just trying to confirm it from. Anyways, it, it, that could give a kind of be a way to be a good citizen to the government while not really killing everyone's privacy. I did also want to comment on the meta, metadata mark in that I, I think the average user thinks just metadata, but I think we know with the Patriot Act and with governments being able to look at metadata of phone call, like st uh, data analysts, you know, data scientists and statistics, there is so much you can learn about a person just from metadata, not even knowing what the communication is. So uh, I think it's important that you know that that is a limitation because, again, the good news, your actual materials are encrypted, but there's still a crap load of stuff that that a government or someone else could get from subpoena, meta, subpoena in metadata. Yep. Uh, so moving on to the second feature, uh, they're calling it iMessage Contact Key Verification. They say it's designed for journalists and human, right, human rights activists as a way to verify iMessage uh, contacts by using a shared password. So basically using cryptography and a shared key to prove that the person texting me is actually Corey and not some hostile government that's trying to trick me into giving up my location. Um, in fact, they'll even alert if Apple detects someone has attempted to eavesdrop on the conversation. So this is one where I feel like it, this is Apple showing their at least recent colors of trying to be more privacy conscious and making a concerted effort towards that. I would like to see, I mean, I don't think the SMS standard would support this or even the MMS, but Apple can do this because they have their proprietary iMessage standard. But I would like to see all the telco, whatever the new texting standard becomes, the, this key-based validation is a great idea. It, it would be even greater if it was a op not Apple's force standard of only Apple ecosystem, but a, a open standard that every device that does any sort of messaging, whatever we call text messaging on modern phones, hopefully we get beyond SMS soon, we'll, we'll do. Well, I don't know if it has uh, security keys like this. There is a standard text messaging protocol uh, that is open by every single device other than Apple, and it's called RCS. And I mentioned that green check mark shaming. The reason that Apple hasn't adopted it is because it is a marketable feature to treat other phones as second-class citizens and chat messages with iPhones, unfortunately. It's essentially Google standard, but Google standard that is shared openly so everyone can adopt it. But I guess that's my question. RCS, should they should have this sort of key validation to make sure the people you're texting are really who they say they are. Yeah, I agree entirely. Um, so, and the third feature uh, is called security keys for Apple ID. And this basically boils down to support for FIDO tokens as your primary authentication factor for an Apple account. So you can now use a hardware-based security key in order to log into your account. Pretty cool seeing them keep up on the, uh, the latest trends of authentication. And overall, like these three are good privacy and security features that they're now going to be baking into their products. So it's good to see that. Uh, and the US, again, it should be here by the end of the year, they said, and globally uh, in early 2023. And I think like my takeaway from this one is it's cool seeing Apple continue to push 
end to end encryption to being more mainstream. Like if you've been following the Twitter drama, you'll see Elon Musk is trying to make Twitter messages end to end encrypted. There are some limitations and challenges uh, with end to end encryption, though, for messages. Like what happens if someone loses their device? Like how do you potentially get them back into the conversation? So I think by just making it more popular and more usable by the everyday random person that has an iPhone and like getting them experience with some of those challenges, like it'll get them understanding as other products and services start adding more security too, like end to end encryption. I don't know. That's my hot take on it. Yeah, I definitely hope they continue. And I, I do agree that as much as I I don't always think their 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 motive for doing it is purely in the customer's it's just the customer's best interest. They have been pushing against, you know, they have been pushing for privacy for a long time. And uh, it is one of the reasons that I'm more comfortable using them. And now, I mean, to, to, to love your, your Android too is in my heyday, I actually do prefer open ecosystems. But now that I'm too old and lazy to really do any customization, I'm fine with it just working and working securely. I think I'm slowly getting to that point myself too. Also, I just am getting annoyed at my friends complaining about my lack of green check mark and my hyper compressed videos. We talked about this, but I forget exactly why. I thought Google was winning the checkmark war now because there was a recent change where uh, they could. Uh, they f anyways, I have to get find that story and send it to you, Mark. But Google had Until a leg my, up like, on Apple for a little texted while. Texted pictures and videos don't get compressed to all heck when I send it to an iPhone user. No one has won. We're all losing. And for everyone that's in a group message with Google and on you know phones with iPhone and other, what a pain in the ass when people use emojis or, or actually tag a comment with comment to with emojis. It doesn't seem to be working in my group messages because I still what what's happened is the the update that's telling you that something was added emoji is now coming from the Apple side instead of the Android side. I think that's the Google win that I think that happened recently. Google found a way around Apple's thing, but now it's showing up the other way. <laughs> it's all Apple's fault then. That's what I'm taking away from this. It, 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 either way, yes. It's uh, the positivity to closed systems is Apple can push aggressive new security features like this because they control their closed ecosystem. The side effect is by closing their ecosystem, they make it hard to interop with anybody else. And it is any interoperability issue is their fault because they're not adhering to the open standard. They're making up their own. Well, I do still want to end on a positive note for Apple for these changes, though. So applause for yeah, good job. these good changes. Yep. Pat on the back. More people out there needs to do this end-to-end -end encryption for sure. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey is at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag 443podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.